Okay, so, yes, tonight we're going to study about the marked and the seal. So, open in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 13. And you may remember that we're in this series looking at some of the um, aspects of end time events that we've seen in Matthew chapter 24. And we started studying about the Sabbath as a result of our series on the abomination of desolation where we saw that there's an abomination that causes desolation Four times spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and each time there's an abomination. Um, that abomination uh, causes desolation when the Sabbath is desecrated. And we're living in that last abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and so we're studying the Sabbath more fully. Now, in Revelation chapter 13, there's a battle for the right hand of believers, as well as the heads and hearts of humanity. And the devil and the beast powers are attempting to, well, well, they're actually colluding, working together, and seeking to either force or manipulate people to blaspheme and worship the first beast rather than Christ. To worship the Antichrist rather than Christ. And uh, we already studied how the right hand in Scripture is what he used to create, okay. what he used to redeem, what he used to write the Ten Commandment law with. I don't even remember this study. And so the right hand actually, study the right hand shows us for sure that when the Antichrist power is attempting to mark God's people on their right hand, it's specifically an attack on the Sabbath and the God of the Sabbath, which reminds us of his act of what? Creation and redemption. So, the key issue at the end of time will be a battle over who will be acknowledged on our day of worship, will it be um, our Creator and Redeemer through worship on the Sabbath day, or will we succumb to a counterfeit day um, of worship? So today, instead of focusing on the right hand, I'd like to focus on the forehead. Now look at the forehead here in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So, then, this is what the beast power is attempting to do, and then Revelation chapter 14. Verse 1, I looked and behold a land 
standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having their father's name written on their forehead. So, this receiving of the mark in the forehead, the seal in the forehead, is um, the place where the name of God is, or the name of the beast. And uh, in our study of the name of God, um, we're reminded that that word name is onoma, and the root of that word for name, onama, the, the underlying word is gnosko, which means to learn, or to come to know, or to get a knowledge, or to become known. So when a person learns or comes to know about God or the beast, they're in a position to receive the name of whichever they choose in their forehead. Because as they come to know the character of either God or the beast, then they're in a position where they can receive the information. Now the word receive in Revelation 13 Didymi means to be given, which means you would receive it. It was given to you, but you receive it. And to commit to. Or, in Revelation 20, verse 4, look over there for a minute. In Revelation chapter 20, and verse 4, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And that word there, it says, had not received the mark, is not dinami, but it's lambano, which literally means to take upon oneself, to claim for oneself. So when you receive the mark of the beast, it's something you're deciding to do. You're giving yourself over to it. You're committing yourself to it. And you are actually um, taking upon yourself and claiming for oneself. So receiving the mark of the beast is to know the character of the person that's giving that and to actually accept it and receive it. How many of you understand that? And this is what we do with our foreheads. We can evaluate and we can look at things. So the person's forehead or your forehead is the, is the place where a person learns about the character of God or the character of the beast. Then the person gives their mind over or commits themselves to one of these two powers. And then the character of the entity that's chosen is literally written on their foreheads. So, where do we get the idea of written on their foreheads? Well, in uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5, speaking of the harlot woman, and then in Revelation chapter 14, we just saw, but in 14 it says they had the name of who written in their foreheads? 
We have the 144,000 have the Father's name written in their forehead. And then Revelation 17, those that are following the beast power, pictured here as a harlot, on her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. So this is a process that takes time. And you don't just quickly receive the seal of God. And you don't just quickly receive the mark of the beast. So it's not something that's just done quickly. Oh, I, I went to Walmart and I received the mark of the beast. No. Uh, no. It's something that you kind of settle into and understand. So let me show this to you. Um, let me show this to you by looking back at the Ten Commandments themselves. So look with me in Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, we have the process described. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of slavery. So thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now the commandment is associated with God's name, his character, and his character um, is being demonstrated as that a, of a deliverer, someone who delivered. So the character of God is he gets people out of slavery. He gets them out of bondage. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I rescued you from all the gods of Egypt. Now you might think that's a small thing. You know how many gods they had in Egypt? They had, depending on what you read in terms of historians and looking at the gods of Egypt, they had somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 deities. They had the Egyptian pantheon. It's kind of like a pandemic of false gods. <laughs> but God delivered his people from all of these. And the ten plagues gave the highlights of the complete deliverance. Ten is the number of completeness in the Bible. Ten commandments, ten kingdoms, ten toes, ten. It is not necessarily what the number is, but it's meant to give a complete overview. So, let me just go through some of these. They worshiped the Nile, the god Hopi, caused the river to overflow, and Kunum fashioned the human beings into clay and held them up so the light of Amon Re could give them life. So they would worship the river. And so God said, if you're worshiping the river, I'm going to humiliate the river by turning it into blood. And suddenly, they were not interested in worshiping the river. It was all blood. And he was giving them a hint. You're not saved by the river. 
You're saved by the blood of the Lamb. You're saved by me. You're saved by the river that comes out of me and my sanctuary. As a matter, matter of fact, the sanctuary in Ezekiel 47 has a river that flows out of it. It's the river of life. And so he humiliated the God of the river. And they worship the river. This is where we get food. This is where we come from. They worship the frogs. They worship the god Haket, the frogs, the goddess of fertility and childbirth. So when they saw a frog, they would worship the frog. It was a capital offense. You would die for killing a frog. They worshiped frogs. They would bow down to frogs. So what did God do with the frogs? He said, okay, if you believe that the frogs are God, I will have the frogs go everywhere in your life. I'll have the frogs go not just outside, but inside your house, inside your bedroom, inside your kitchen, inside the place where you make bread, inside the place that you store fruit food. And suddenly, they realized they did not want God in all of their lives if God was a frog. And so they started killing the frogs and getting... This had never happened in Egypt before, killing the frogs. And so God was showing that he had power over the frog god. You might think you could jump a long way with the frog god? No. God was much stronger and bigger than the god of the frogs. So he was showing, they used to worship the beetles. The scarab beetle pictured the sun god in his morning form. So they worshiped these beetles, and as they worshiped the beetles, it was as if they were worshiping the god of the sun. Is the sun big in Egypt? Is there a lot of sun over there in Africa? All kinds of sun. And so God, you know, made the bugs and different things go everywhere, and they weren't as interested. But the ultimate God of Egypt was Amon-Ra, the God of the sun. It was the most powerful God. Amon-Ra worked with Atum-Ra, the sun god who was believed to have created all the other gods and to have created all human beings and all life on earth. So in other words, in Egypt, what you worshipped was certainly all these bugs and all these things, but the real thing they worshipped in Egypt was what? The sun god. The sun god. Now how many can see why this is important to study this? Okay? Thou shalt have no other what? Thou shalt have no other what? Gods. All those gods, 2,000 of them, were actually coming from one god, which was what god? The sun god. How many of you are following me? So the Ten Commandments then, as they're coming out, it says, look, I brought you up from this bondage to all these gods. 
And they did not create you. And the sun god did not create you. I created you. And I redeemed you. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Verse 3 through 6. Psalm 95. Verse 3 through 6. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with songs. For the Lord is a great God. Remember in the commandments, it's the Lord God. There it is again, that's the word. And a great king. Above what? Above what? All gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. And the strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his that he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Throughout the scriptures, God is pictured as the creator. And this is given as a reason that we should worship him and we should bow down to him. Are you with me on this? And when you bow down, guess what you did before God? You put your forehead on the ground. You were saying with your forehead on the ground before God, he is the creator. And he also is the Redeemer. Remember, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee up out of the house of bondage. And so, you have again and again this picture of uh, God, the deliver not only Redeemer, but the Deliverer. Read Psalm 18, and verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So don't have any other gods before me, commandment number one, because I'm your Deliverer, and I'm your creator. How many of you are following me in this? For this reason, then, God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment number two. Back to Exodus. You shall not make for yourselves any carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. Um, for I, the Lord thy God, am a what? Jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who what? Love me and keep my commandments. So you should not 
bow down or worship them um, because I'm the one I'm the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So what is this teaching us? And by the way, we're going to come back to these after we go through them, and then we're going to look at how you receive the mark of the beast. So this is not busy work. <laughs> what are we learning here? Thou shalt not make into thee any graven image. In other words, what they were doing was they were saying, okay, God didn't create us. God didn't redeem us, but the frog did, or the cow did, or the calf did. And then they were making an image, and they were worshiping that instead of the creator. They were worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And they were actually forming it out of their own hands, and then they were worshiping it. And he said, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. This is an adjective. Singular, absolute, which means this is describing a God who wants full devotion. Nothing else should you be devoted to other than God. No images, no things you create with your hands, only God. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols, Isaiah 42, 8. So I'm the Lord, as no one else. Do not make an image. Do not bow down to an image. Uh, my praise I give and my glory to no other. So this idea of jealousy, I'm a jealous God, it means to protect. In other words, as you follow me, I protect you. And I don't want anyone else getting in there. I want no one else taking my place in any regard. How many think that makes sense? How many think it's okay? It's not, a, it's not an unrighteous jealousness. It's a holy jealousness. That's the idea. That's the idea. 2 Corinthians 10. Or 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, Paul talking to the Corinthians. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to 14 husbands. Is that what it says? To 2,000 husbands. Is that what it says? No. Just to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So in other words, do not have divided loyalties because I'm a jealous God. And in fact, uh, James chapter 4 says that the Spirit who dwells in us, the Spirit, how many of you have the, want to have the Holy Spirit in you? The Spirit who dwells in us yearns for us jealously. So when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, what is it doing? What's it doing? Hello? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns what? Jealously. Jealously. 
that's the whole idea. In other words, don't pick a false god or false gods. Don't make images to them because I'm jealous. I only want you to worship me, only me. Now notice how that commandment ends, the second commandment. But showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So in other words, people that worship false gods will make images to those false gods and they will have commandments that are related to the false gods. First, they want their followers to make physical representations of the gods. 1,500 to 2,000 there in Egypt. They made images to flies, frogs, beetles, cows, livestock. Next, instead of obeying God and His commandments, they made their gods, they fashioned them, and they made commandments for those gods. I looked at some of the commandments of the ancient Egyptian gods. They had daily rituals that were performed by priests or by Pharaoh for the people. And these rituals filled libraries, libraries of rituals written on papyri. Rituals concerning food, rituals concerning water, rituals concerning incense. Rituals concerning sacrifices of precious metals, all written. Written on papyri or pieces of parchment and kept in temple libraries. Literally thousands of them. So, <laughs> Pharaoh would have to hire all kinds of people on his behalf to be doing all kinds of rituals following all kinds of commandments. And if you didn't keep those commandments, you could be in trouble. So they had many gods, many images, many commandments. <laughs> Exodus 20, verse 7, the next commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Okay, so what do they have? They pick false gods, right? They make images to those false gods. And then what do they do? They make commandments that go with those false gods, that build libraries. And then what's it say next? It says, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, what does this mean? You know, there are things like saying God's name and, and uh, other words along with it that take God's name in vain. That's a superficial and important thing. We shouldn't be using God's name loosely. We shouldn't say forms of God's name. We shouldn't be saying G instead of Jesus or golly instead of God. Or we shouldn't be cavalry saying, oh, my and then use God's name. We should be doing that. That's cheapening God's name, okay? But that's only part of what it's talking about here. This people, Isaiah 29, 13 says, 
Isaiah 29, 13. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the next step in receiving the mark of the beast, first is choosing a false god, someone who's not God, someone in place of God. Anti means in place of God, anti-Christ, in place of God. And then making an image to that God, right? And then keeping the commandments of that God. Mm -hmm. And then teaching other people to teach, teach those false commandments. Teaching other people to keep the false commandments to the false God you chose. How many of you are with me? What was the primary God that they worshipped in Egypt? The sun. And what was it that they made to him, image to the sun? All kinds of images to the sun. The pyramids pointed to the sun. In the pyramids, there were all kinds of windows to the outside that pointed to the various luminary bodies. They've done that by looking and studying them. So they were worshiping the sun, moon, and stars, but primarily the sun. Who was Pharaoh? He was Amon-Re, God, the sun god. So they chose in Egypt the sun to worship, and all those other gods that were under it. They made images to the sun god. They made what? Commandments that were related to worshiping the sun god. How many of you are following this? And then they made other people keep those commandments. Does that sound familiar at all? That's what they did in Egypt. And that's when, you know, and these were vain, vain customs. The idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie, and they have told false dreams, and they comfort in vain. Zechariah 10, verse 2. So why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? Acts 4. 25. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of men. Right? Uh, so, um, they were choosing a false god. What god was it? What god was the primary god in Egypt? The sun god. They were making an image to that false god. In other words, pointing the direction to the false god with the pyramids and all the other things. Then they were making what? Commandments that were related to the false god. And there were libraries full of them. And then what? They were teaching other people to keep those commandments. And they were using their military and their might to show that they were more powerful than the other nations, and they were the most powerful nation. How many of you are with me in this? And when they took God's people captive, they made them work how many days a week? Seven days a week. And they said, you will keep 
our commandments, not your commandments. Are we following me? This was an abomination that was about to bring desolation on the Egyptians. And God heard their cry. We want to keep the Sabbath. We want to keep a feast to the Lord. Exodus 5, remember how we studied that? We want to come out of there. We want to worship you. And then Moses comes back and says, you know what? I'm going to help you get out of here. God sent me to deliver you from the 2,000 gods summarized under one God, the sun God, who's made an image to himself all over Egypt and causing you to work to make the image more bricks, more straw, and you're building pyramids and you're building all these things that are images and idols towards the false gods and the false god of Egypt. And I'm going to get you out because not only that, they're making you keep their commandments. And I'm going to get you out so you can keep what day? The Sabbath day. And what day is the Sabbath day? That's our next commandment. Let's go back to it. How many of you are beginning to see something here? How many are beginning to see a paradigm here? So what does he give them? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, not even the cattle, nor the stranger that is within your gates. And why is it? For in six days the Lord, not the gods of Egypt, not the sun god, the Sabbath God. The Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea. Think about how that would have sounded to an Egyptian. All those 2,000 gods you heard about? Liars. They're not the creator and they're not the redeemer. <laughs> God made all that in them is and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, how many of you are beginning to see now the significance of the Sabbath day, perhaps in a new way? How many of you are beginning to see that? Anybody seeing this? In other words, the Sabbath day was a radical departure from Sunday, the worship of the sun god. And it was tied by God in his own voice, with his own words, to a complete reversal of everything in Egypt. 1,500 gods, 2,000 gods, no. They're all wrong. They are all wrong. 
and I, the Lord God, am right. And to give you evidence of that, I delivered you from Egypt. I overwhelmed the most powerful military. And I brought you out with my powerful right arm. The arm that created you. The arm that redeemed you. Because you might have forgotten being in slavery. So just remember. So the Sabbath then is a summary. It's a summary of these first three commandments. How many of you are seeing that? It's a summary of the first three commandments. And I want to make now this, this kind of application in our last few minutes here. The first four commandments show you how you can either receive the mark of the beast or you can receive the seal of God. How many of you can see that now? You can see it clearly. And how do you do that? Well, commandment number one, if you choose anything to worship other than the Creator or the Redeemer, you've chosen a false god. Some people, the Bible says, their god is their belly. Usually it's much larger than the rest of their body. You see that they've been worshiping their belly. Some other people worship finances. Their god is money. Some other people worship fame, ambition. Some other people maybe worship um, immorality, whatever it is. They focus on the creature rather than the creator. How many of you are with me? So when you choose a false god or receive it, right, then what's the next step that you do? You have images of it all over the place. You take pictures of it. You maybe um, imagine it. You have imaginations concerning it. Right? And then, what's the next thing? It's so important to you that you have commandments that you keep. I will only do this. I will organize my life around it. I can't go to church because there's a football game on. And football is more important than church. I can't do this. I can't eat that because I like this taste so much. It's more important than what God says to eat. How many of you are with me? I've actually seen people that won't go to a restaurant without their own special sauce. They have to bring it. It's a commandment. They have to put that on there. So number one, you choose something that's not the creator or the redeemer. Number two, you, you make an image to it or you have imaginations about it. And by the way, it can be a false concept. Science can be a false god. Science that tells you, science that tells you that God was created through evolution or that God did not create and evolution is true, that's a false God. How many of you are following me? How many of you are with me on this? 
Did God create in six days? That's what the commandment says. Or was it evolution? So choosing a philosophy can be choosing a false god. And then there's images made to it, textbooks, research, supposed research, and then there's commandments. This is how you have to understand things. And then what happens next? Those commandments are taught to other people who are taught about those false gods. And if you don't follow what they say, then what? You're persecuted. Does this happen in the sciences? In the sciences, if you say you believe in creation and not in evolution, what happens? You've broken one of the commandments and you're out. You have sinned. And the wages of sin is death of your scientific career. Goodbye. Let me follow you. So, this is fascinating to me. How many think the commandments are actually fascinating? Because they're actually teaching us what to avoid. How many can see that? Now, what happens next? Ultimately, when we break commandments one through three, we don't feel like we have any special relationship with the Creator. And so we can substitute other days or do other things rather than celebrate our relationship with Him for one day during the week. And if we do, maybe we have a power that comes and says that they will think to change times and laws. Think to change times and laws. Use their frontal lobe to change times and laws. And try to get the whole world to do what? Worship on what day? Sunday. Instead of what day? The Sabbath. A complete reversal of one of the most powerful acts of God in history. How many of you are beginning to see the importance of the Sabbath? How many are beginning to see that? Now, what, what can we do? What can we do? If we keep the first commandment, and the second commandment, and the third commandment, and the fourth commandment, this is our, not only um, a picture of how we receive the mark of the beast if we don't follow them, but it's also a picture of how we can be strong in the Lord. How many of you think that's, that's a positive thing? We can actually strengthen our frontal lobes by doing that. Now let me show you something. Look with me in Ezekiel chapter 3. There were four attacks on the Sabbath and the abomination of desolation series that we saw. Remember that? Those contemporaries was how he had against the culture and uh, you have this mobile throne of God that's trying to um, fly around kind of like Air Force One or God's ultimate rocket ship or his drone 
and it comes and it's flying around Israel or around the temple. Flies, flies all the way around the temple many times and then ultimately it goes to the side of the temple, the side of the city, and then it flies away by Ezekiel 10. Why does it fly away? Well, it has to do with the frontal lobes. Look here in Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel is here. And uh, he has to deal with a rebellious house. Um, chapter 2, verse 7. You speak my words to them, that is Israel. And they hear, um, whether they hear or whether they refuse. For they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mournings and woes. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat that scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. And so I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. What's happening here? He's eating God's word. It's sweet to his taste. And he says, now share it with someone else. Share it with the house of Israel. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech or hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech or hard language whose words you can't understand. Verse 6, surely I sent you to them. They would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent, impudence or strong of forehead, Literally, it means strong of what? Forehead and hard-hearted. So Israel has become what? Strong of forehead against God. Is it, is it, is it, are you? Are you able to be strong of forehead against God? Therefore, forehead. How long is it? Adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a what? Rebellious house. So look at this. God's prophet is having to deal with who? These rebellious people are being taken captive to Babylon. Why are they taken captive to Babylon? Do you remember? All the abominations, but finally what? Sabbath desecration. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you a scroll to eat. It's going to be sweet to you. Try and reach out to them. And as you're reading my word, as your laws in my as, as my laws in your heart, your forehead will be what? Strong. And they'll be like what? 
flint. Have you ever looked at the Mohs scale of hardness of rocks? Do you know what the hardest rock is? It's an adamant stone. Have you ever heard someone say, that person talked about this to me and they were very adamant? How many of you ever heard that word? They were adamant. They said, I have to wear a mask. They were adamant. What's that mean? They, you're not changing their mind. They had a strong forehead. And it says, your forehead will be stronger than theirs. Theirs will be like quartz. Now at the end of time, in Revelation 13, the beast power will have a very strong forehead. He will cause all the world to worship and blaspheme God. All the world will worship except one group. And what group is it? That group that eats his word and has his law in their hearts. It's interesting to me that the Advent movement starts out with a group that eats a scroll that had been closed but then was open. It's interesting to me that the Advent movement, once they eat that sweet scroll, go into a sour experience. Unless God, but God gives them strength, and he uses their strengthened foreheads to preach his gospel to the whole world in Revelation chapter 10 through 22. How many of you are with me? And one of the things they preach is what? Remember God's commandments. Here is the patience of the saints. They're in the midst of a severe crisis. Their foreheads have to go against other foreheads. They keep the commandments of God, including the Sabbath. And they have the what? Faith of Jesus. I'm beginning to see this. They have a strong forehead. Because they have settled into the truth. They've settled into the truth. Look at Ezekiel chapter 8. see a picture of the Lord God when the Spirit of God picks up Ezekiel and it says in verse 3 and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the north gate of the inner court where the seat of the image of jealousy was which provokes to jealousy what's the second commandment don't make any graven image or any likeness of anything in the heaven above or the earth beneath. For I, thy Lord, am a what? Jealous God. Now what are they doing with this image of jealousy? And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there like a vision which I saw on the plain. And he said, Son of man, lift your eyes now to the north. And I lifted my eyes to the north. And there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy at the entrance. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn and you will see greater abominations. And he took me to the door of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And he said, Son of man, dig in the wall. And when I dug in the wall, there was a door. And he said, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. 
And I went in and I saw there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on all the walls. What? They had gone back to Egypt. They had gone back to worshiping all these idols. Can you see it? There stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood Jezaniah, the son of Siphon. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room with the, of his idols. For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, you will see greater abominations that they are doing. And he brought me into the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. This is the fertility God. And then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you'll see greater abominations. And so he brought me to the inner court of God's house. And there at the door of the temple between the porch and the altar were 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping what? The sun. How many can see they're, they're reversing the first four commandments? How many can see that? And he said, Have you seen this, O man, son of man? Is it trivial thing that the house of Judah commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. They have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they have put the branch to their nose. So what happens then? Suddenly, verse 2, six men come from all directions, each with a battle axe in his hand. And one of them was clothed with a linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. And they went in and stood at the bronze altar. And now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the chair of where I had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the men clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn, and he said, Go through the midst of the earth, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a what? Mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. To the others he said to my hearing, Go after him through the land and kill those, and do not let your eyes spare. Slay old and young, maiden and little children, women who who do not come, but do not come near anyone who has the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. And so they began with the elders who were before the temple. What do we see here? God's people's frontal lobes have been totally weakened by not following his law. And Ezekiel was sent to try and reach out to them. He saw that they had gone back in their worship to all the idols. They had chosen another god. They make an image to it. They had provoked the god of jealousy because they were keeping the commandments of those gods and making other people do that. And so he sends Ezekiel, just like he sent Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, he sends Ezekiel to the house of Israel. Because judgment is going to begin at the house of God. And he says, go in with your strong forehead. Go in with that forehead where, you, where you're reading that scroll, where you're being revived by my word, and go in with your strong forehead against their foreheads, which are like flint, and go in and try and save whoever you can. 
and go in and try and save the people that are worshiping the sun or worshiping on Sunday instead of my day. And cry and sigh for the abominations done in Israel. How can you tell if you're receiving the seal of God instead of the mark of the beast? You're worried about God's people. You're worried about the stuff that's going wrong. You're worried about people who are breaking the Sabbath or not keeping the Sabbath. And your frontal lobe is becoming stronger and stronger, and you with kindness, yet with boldness, are able to stand up against other frontal lobes, <laughs> other foreheads. And even though all the world worshiped the beast image, you're part of that group that says, no, I'm not going to do that. I have the faith of Jesus that he's given me. And I'm going to keep his commandments, including the Sabbath commandment, in the context of patient endurance. I might get persecuted. I might have someone stand up against me, but my frontal lobe has been strengthened by reading his word, and I'm adamant. You know what the adamant stone was? It's the hardest stone known to man. It's the diamond. Malachi speaks of his people God's people being jewels when God comes again. When God comes again, he's going to have a group of people who are adamant. They're diamonds. And his law will be written in their foreheads and will be on the top of Mount Zion. How many want to be a part of that people? So the Ten Commandments are not just things to memorize. They give us a paradigm that shows us where we are. Are we receiving or preparing to receive the mark of the beast? Or are we demonstrating the seal of God or ready to receive the seal of God as an adamant stone? You know, the high priest had on his shoulders, two stones, and they had all the names of Israel. And then he had an ephod that had twelve stones, and on those were all the names of Israel. He was carrying all the names of the people. And he would go in and carry their names into the sanctuary. But he had something else on. What did he have on? And something right across his forehead. And you know what it said? Holiness to the Lord. Who did that high priest represent? Who did that high priest represent? Represented Jesus. And what is Jesus attempting to do? Present each one here and your name 
in the heavenly sanctuary. How many say hallelujah for that? And that sanctuary was also a picture of the Exodus, leaving Egypt, saved by the blood of the Lamb, going to the Red Sea, the labor, being the light of the world, the bread of life, the incense, and now moving into the most holy place, taking our names before the Father, where His law is right there in the most holy place, and so we accept what Jesus has done and is doing. He says, I'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because it's the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. He's your creator and he's your redeemer. Receive my name in your forehead. Don't receive the mark of the beast. Let's pray. Father in heaven, strengthen our foreheads through the study of your word. And strengthen our foreheads as we behold in gratitude in the commandments that you are our deliverer and our Creator. Thank you that you don't give up on us, that you're jealous, that you're attempting to help us. You're trying to work with our foreheads. You're saying, hey, wait a minute, remember this. And you give strong, powerful arguments and examples throughout Scripture and history of your love, not only of you coming, not only the prophets coming, but of you coming and not only you coming, but of the many that have gone before us who are faithful. Make us faithful, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.